Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Our sermon today is out of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it begins, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You, go and do likewise. You guys can have a seat. Man, it was so cool to hear you sing this morning. I could hear you from the back. What a great room. What a great room. So uh, a few months ago as a staff, we did one of those, uh, and there's many different types of kind of strength finder assessments. How many of you guys have ever done this, maybe in your company, to kind of see how different people are wired and where their strengths are? And one of the things, and we all, we all got our, our results back and we're talking through it, and one of the things we learned about uh, Brad, one of our pastors, is he is, conviction is a strength of his. And if you know Brad, this is like totally him, right? It's either black or white and there's no in between with him. I mean, conviction is a strength of his. And so uh, the, the next day, it was a two-day retreat with our staff. And so we were gonna talk through the next day, we were gonna do a SWOT assessment, kind of looking at some of our opportunities and strengths as a church. And so the night before, Brad and went to bed and Michael Robinson and, and uh, the other Michael, a few of us are sitting around and we're talking. And we're like, you know what? Let's stir Brad up tomorrow. This will be fun. And so we, we devise this really outrageous scheme because one of the things we're going to talk about later that day is, is a future building or some type of facility for us. And so the three of us sat around late at night and devised this scheme, really stupid scheme, where we would basically go to a church and take it over. All right? They just walk in and I would say, I'm the captain now. That's that sort of thing. And I mean, just we just had so much fun, you know, doing this just ridiculous scheme. And so we decided, okay, the next morning when we get to a time for our staff to kind of share ideas or opportunities for the future, I'm just gonna write up on the board, church takeover. (laughs) 
Okay, so I wrote it up there and no one really sees it. And we're going through some of the opportunities and all of a sudden, and I think Molly was up front, she goes, church takeover, what? And I was like, oh yeah, that was me. And I get up and with all the passion I can bring, I lay out this vision for a church takeover. <laughs> I'm talking, we just walk in and just, uh, we're in charge now, that sort of thing. And, and we're watching Brad, and, if you, and I love him. He's one of my best friends. If you know Brad, this is what happens. So he's sitting there, and at first, he's just kind of sitting there, arms crossed like this. And his face just starts to get more and more scowled. And then he starts doing this. And Mike, Michael and Michael and I, we're, we're trying not to laugh. We're trying to keep it together. But he, he starts rubbing like this. And then he, he's in a little chair that rocks. And then he starts rocking. And we know he's getting stirred up when he starts rocking. And I'm just, I mean, I'm, and people are starting to like, like, they're asking questions. What about this? And Michael, Michael, the both of them are like spurring it on. Oh yeah, like, I think that could work. And the more we go, the madder he gets. And finally he's just like, guys, this is stupid. This is just stupid. <laughs> right in, I mean, just like played right into his strengths finder, right? Well, it's a very similar scenario in the passage today of someone coming up to Jesus to try to test him or stir him up. Now, Jesus uh, responds a little bit different than Brad did. Um, but it's, it's very much the same scenario. And Clayton read it this morning. I thought it'd be appropriate for a lawyer to read our passage about a lawyer today. So we're going to jump into this story. And just so you know, this is a big day for us. It's a vision day for us. And so we're going to preach this text. We've been walking through the book of Luke. We're supposed to be uh, back in Luke chapter 7. Um, but we're going to jump ahead to chapter 10 and kind of unpack a vision today. And so we will probably actually teach this passage again in a few months and go into more detail on it because there is so much stuff in here. It was like four sermons worth whenever I first started looking at this. For today, we're going to kind of look at this story of this interaction with the lawyer and the story that Jesus tells to un understand as a church what we believe God is calling it to. So here's what, here's what Luke says. He says, a lawyer came to test Jesus. Now, when you hear the word lawyer, don't think like courtroom, you can't handle the truth, that sort of, that, that's not the lawyer he's talking about. This is a Old Testament scholar. He, is, he knows the law. He is a person that probably has the entire Old Testament memorized. This guy knows his stuff about the Old Testament. And so he comes to Jesus, who by this time has has a crowd around him, has caused quite the stir, and he comes to test Jesus, to see if he can trap him, to see if he can get him worked up, and to see if he can get Jesus to kind of reveal that he is a fraud. And the guy in the story asks a question, and here's the question he asks, how do I, I'm just going to write self, how do I inherit eternal life? That was the question. How do I inherit eternal life? And so, Jesus, because he wants to trap Jesus in a discussion that's going to cause Jesus to say some things that are wrong. Here's what he's asking. How do I get myself to God? That's his question. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I, a lawyer who knows the Old Testament law, get myself to God? Now, he knew his answer. He wasn't coming to Jesus because he wanted to learn. He knew his answer. He wanted to see what Jesus says. Well, of course, Jesus knows what's going on. And so what's Jesus do? What he almost always does. He responds with a question. Well, what do you say? I mean, come on, lawyer. You're the professional here. 
You're the one that knows it all. Like, like, what do you say? Like, what's written in the law? And the lawyer jumps in and he goes to a passage of scripture that he knows from the Old Testament. Here's what he says. You need to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's what the Old Testament says. Like, you need to inherit eternal life. You must love God with everything. And love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's what the Old Testament says. And Jesus says, well, yeah, you got it. What's the problem here, lawyer? Why are you, why are you so stirred up? Like, you answered correctly. Now, the lawyer misses the flaw. Did you catch the flaw in his question, by the way? How do I inherit eternal life? He already tells his belief. Here's what he's saying. I want to get to God. And he's serious about it. Like, he knows his Bible. I want to get to God. And here's this question. Jesus, I already know the answer, but just to make sure you know that I know the answer. What do I need to do? There's the key word, to get to God. Because what's the answer? Nothing. Right? You're, you're not going to get yourself there. So there's a flaw in his question. He misses it. And so Jesus says, yeah, do that. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, I think if Jesus was going to engage that more, he would say this. So by the way, you have to do that perfectly if you want to get yourself to God. So you're already out. But here's what he says. Luke says, but the man wanting to justify himself asked Jesus the question, well, okay, if I have to love God and I have to love my neighbor, who's my neighbor? Good question. Like, come on, G. Like, again, this lawyer knows his stuff. Like, who is my neighbor? What people in the society which I live do I need to love to get myself to God? That's the question he asked. Or, if we really, here's what he's saying. What are the boundaries of who my neighbor is? So when he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Here is what he is thinking. Jewish countrymen, good, moral Jews who love God. That's his understanding. So Jesus goes on to tell him a parable. We looked at that last week, if you were at last week's sermon, kind of why Jesus tells parables and what happens in that. And here's, if you weren't here last week, just real quick, in a parable, a parable's a story, and there are layers and layers and layers of truth going on in this story. I, I've got to focus in on one part today. But Jesus interacts with this lawyer and tells him a story to blow up his view of what it looks like to love God and love your neighbor because the lawyer really wants to know what are the boundaries? What are the boundaries of loving my neighbor? So verse 31 of chapter 10, here's what Jesus tells him. Let's read it again. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, that doesn't mean much to us. That is, those are two literal places, Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a 17-mile stretch of road that the whole audience would have automatically pictured. And the way this works, this, is a, this goes from a high elevation and drops 4,000 feet 
over this 17-mile stretch. It's curvy. There's rocks everywhere. It was known for being a dangerous highway, a dangerous place where people got robbed because all these rocks that, that robbers could hide behind. And he fell among robbers who stripped him. By the way, if they strip him, it means he's unrecognizable. Can't tell what nationality he is. And beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, probably to a Jewish audience, when they think about this man laying on the side of the road, they would have pictured a, a Jew. That would be my guess. Like if I was talking to you and said, hey, a man was walking down the street and got beat, you would probably think, oh, an American. It's probably what he thought. Now, by chance, verse 31, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So Jesus introduces to one character, a priest, and then so likewise a Levite, which is basically the, the number two underneath the priest. So you got to think for both of these, let's lump them together as religious leaders of Israel, doing the work that God has for them. So likewise, when he came to place, saw him on the other side and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... We'll get to that in a second. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And here's Jesus' question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Now, that's interesting. Did you notice what happened? The man asked Jesus, hey, who is my neighbor? That was the question. Jesus tells the story, and look at the question Jesus asked. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to that in a second. He fell among the robbers. And he said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So let's jump into this parable. Let's understand this. And so the question that was asked is, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells this parable. At the back end, he asks the question, who proved to be a neighbor? Here is what I think if we look at this from 30,000 feet at this parable. Here's what I think Jesus is doing. He is going to show a contrast between two ways of viewing God, self, and others or neighbors. Two different ways of viewing them. And I believe in this parable he is going to expose the flaw in the lawyer's view of this. Because the lawyer was an expert. Like he knew it. But what he's going to reveal is he doesn't really know. I mean, this guy, like this is how, throw a random passage of Scripture from the Old Testament. The Lord is gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. And that lawyer would have said, oh, Psalm 145, easy. He knew it. But here's the question. What did he miss? He probably knew more information about God than all of us. I mean, the guy knew his stuff, but somehow he missed it, and I believe Jesus is going to expose how he misses it. Let's first start with God. Let's unpack maybe what he's missing, this lawyer's missing in his understanding of God, 
And let's look into the parable to see that. And so all of a sudden, when, when Jesus taught this parable, he, show, he brings into the, the story a priest and a Levite. Okay? Now, the priest and the Levite, which are important guys in Jewish religious society, they come across, they're walking this stretch of road, presumably they're heading towards the temple or away from it to do their work that God has called them to do. And they see this guy on the side of the road, and it says, Jesus says, they pass by on the other side. Now, before we give these guys a hard time, let's understand, they are doing good. They were moral, religious, righteous men who are on their way to serve God into the role which he has called them to serve. That's what they're doing. These are important guys in Jewish society, but it's not just that they are, they're busy. Like we always think, well, they're busy. They didn't have time. No, there's something deeper going on. Here's what's happening. In, in the Jewish belief, if a priest or a Levite were to come by and bend down and touch this half-dead man, touch him, and then especially if this man died, they are now disqualified for several weeks of doing their job. They are unclean. So there's more going on here besides, oh, I'm very busy, I have a lot to do. No, there's a deeper reality going on, and that is their understanding of God is keeping them from engaging a man in need. You see that? Because if I touch this man in need, I will become unclean. I will not have fellowship with God now. I will not be able to do what I am called to do. And for the Jewish people, there is this obsession with being around anything that was unclean. That's why when a leper came through, he'd have to cry out, unclean, unclean, because they had an obsession with re removing themselves from anything that is unclean. And for the priest and the Levite, their understanding of God keeps them from engaging the half-dead man. How did they miss it? And again, Jesus is exposing the lawyer's belief in this story. He, he's telling the story to go right to that lawyer's heart. Like they understood that God requires holiness, cleanliness, righteousness, but they missed God's heart for people. See, they were so focused on getting themselves here, so focused on getting themselves here, that they have forgot the call of God for here. And all through the Old Testament, scriptures that these guys knew, we see what God has commanded Israel. As a matter of fact, when God came to Abraham and, and, and birthed the nation of Israel, here's what God told Abraham. Listen, Abraham, you're going to be blessed. You know why? To be a blessing to neighbors, others, non-Jews, the world, nations. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. Why? To show them what I am like, to show them who I am. That's what God told Abraham. But as a whole, the Jewish nation, they forgot this. They left it. And you'll see, and we're going to read a few. We've been doing prayer gatherings for the past three Sunday nights. We've looked at some of these scriptures on God's call. Yes, he calls holiness. He calls us to righteousness. He called us, calls us to walk away from sin. But there are passages all throughout the Bible where God is going to call us to a word that we're going to call today mercy. 
And these guys forgot it. Amos chapter 5, here's what God says about Israel and all their religious things they're doing. I hate, that's a strong word, I despise your feast. It was a religious feast. It was like Thanksgiving or something, like religious feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, which they were commanded to do, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But here's what he says. Let justice roll down like waters. It's to neighbors. Like an ever-flowing stream. Isaiah 1, here's what he says. What is it to me? God says to Israel, the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have enough. Burnt offerings and rams and fatted, well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. He goes on in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove, remove evil from your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Hosea 6, he says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Here's what God keeps reminding his people. Guys, you've missed it. In your attempt to measure up to me, to get yourselves to me, you've totally missed the call for others. You've totally missed it. Micah 6, he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. One more, Jeremiah 29, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, you will find your welfare. As a nation, Israel, they, they were zealous for God. We gotta understand this about Israel. Guys, they were probably more serious about their faith than we are. Their day was filled with prayers and all these feet and everything they did, like they were so, they were serious about God. But what had happened over the years that their focus completely got to making themselves presentable to God through their actions, self-righteousness. And in doing that, they totally missed the call to love neighbors and not just, and not just like they ignored, like they hated neighbors. And you can see that through the interactions in Luke, how they despise people that are outside of their little box. See, the problem with self-righteousness, the problem with trying to measure up, which some of us are still doing, where is the focus? Me. Like if I'm trying to measure up to God, I am constantly trying to do more, do this, do this. Like the focus is all here. And so the lawyer comes in, hey, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Hill City, we can be a church 
with great theology and an understanding of God, and we are trying to be that. We can be a church with great gospel-centered worship, great preaching, great discipleship, but hear me, if we miss the call for mercy to our neighbors, we have missed the heart of God. We've missed the heart of God. And as I looked, zoomed that way out, and that's where I've tried to be for weeks as I've wrestled with this passage, what did the lawyer miss? It's here. He missed the heart of God. In all of his knowledge of God, he missed the call to others, to neighbors, for justice, for mercy. See, the lawyer has a wrong view of God. He views God as someone that he must appease, not knowing that he could never appease God. He can never be good enough. So see, a wrong view of God is going to lead to a wrong view of self. Let's jump into self, and let's look at this through the eyes in the parable. So Jesus is telling this parable, and he, he first starts about with the priest and the Levite, kind of looking at what they understood about God, and now he's going to bring into the conversation a Samaritan. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but when Jesus says Samaritan, there would have been like a, <gasps> through the crowd. Because Jesus u- just used a Samaritan as the good guy. If you are a Jew, you know who enemy number one is? Samaritans. Samaritans in Rome, maybe they're side by side. Like this was scandalous. A Samaritan they, they thought were, it was a half-breed, a half-Jew, a half-Gentile. These are Jews that kind of left the nation of Israel and started marrying other people and now they're all intermixed. And so when Jesus mentions a, a, a Samaritan, he is tapping into a bigger discussion about who's in and who's out because Samaritans were out. And Jesus just drops that name. It's a discussion. When Jesus mentions Samaritan to the lawyer, he's entering a discussion about your identity being and who you're against. And when he mentions the Samaritan, here's what he is doing. He is exposing the heart of the lawyer. See, the reality is the lawyer doesn't realize that he's not the hero. The reality is that this lawyer is the half-dead man on the side of the road, helpless. And when he mentions this Samaritan as a guy he took like is exposing every bit of ethnocentrism in his heart because that is the one guy that he hates. And he is revealing to this man, listen, lawyer, your view of self is that here's you And here's Samaritans. And he just blew that open to say, listen, you are totally wrong because you and the Samaritan and the half-dead guy are in the same boat, helpless. Jesus is trying to show him a right view of self. What can the half-dead guy do to get himself out of the ditch? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. He is half dead on the side of the road. He will die if someone outside of himself doesn't come as the hero. And so Jesus uses the most um, outrageous person he can think of to this lawyer outside of this dead man's self to raise him up. 
And here's what Jesus is trying to show in this, in this scenario. Listen, there is nothing you can do to get yourself here. And as a matter of fact, I will use a Samaritan as a hero to show you you have a wrong view of self. You view yourself as someone that doesn't need mercy because you already have it. You're good. You know the law. And Jesus is blowing up his view of his self. Because the way we view God will lead to how we view ourselves, and that will lead to how we view our neighbors. Hill City, do you realize something? Where do you find yourself in the story? You're the dead man. You're in the ditch. It's interesting, when we hear this story a lot, we want to put ourselves into the eyes of Samaritan. You know, yeah, I'm going to come help the person in the ditch. No, you're in the ditch. That's us. And Jesus is the one that shows us mercy. And Jesus doesn't come and bandage our wounds like Jesus became. He took our wounds. Jesus didn't pour on oil and wine. He poured out his blood. He didn't just pay for a few nights hotel while we could get better. He paid for our redemption with his death. Like Jesus is the one that pulls us out of the ditch. And I think he's trying to show the Samaritan, will you get off your high view of self and realize, dude, you're in the ditch. You need mercy. If you're like me, he pulls us out of the ditch and I crawl right back in the ditch. And Jesus keeps showing us mercy. Jesus trying to illuminate to this guy his view of self and viewing him above everyone else. Viewing that he can somehow get himself to God by his good behavior and everyone else is out of that box because they obviously are not as good as I am. Now, this is conjecture because we don't know, but I wonder, I wonder what the view of the Samaritan is. So Samaritan's walking down the road. He's heard. He's heard what the Jews have said about him. You're an outcast. Like you're on the outside. You're unloved. And he comes by, and that, that's what he's heard. And now he sees this guy. You know what? He may be thinking, this is conjecture. We don't know. That guy's a lot like me. Outcast. Half dead. No one cares about him. See, as we start to get a right view of self, and Dr. Marshall didn't preach this in the call to worship. He showed me. I told him when you were walking out, dude, you showed me up. Come on. You're the half dead guy whom God has shown mercy. You were an outcast, but now you've brought in. You've been brought in. And so, so there's for Samaritan, whenever he realizes that, and all of a sudden he can look at this guy, you know what? We're like, we're the same. I'm not above you. You're not outside of what God, we're, we're the same. And so he interjects with him. Like, I wonder if this Samaritan is like the guy in Luke 18, Jesus talks about and says, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, to God, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. God, I need mercy. I'm a sinner. And I wonder if that's not the Samaritan's heart. I need mercy. Because when that becomes our reality, 
It's the opposite of religious pride, and it puts us at the same level as everyone else, all receiving mercy and needing mercy. It's a right view of self. Hill City, what's your view of self as it relates to God? Is God just one more person you're trying to please? Maybe you're here this morning, man, if I come to church, God will be pleased with me. If I read my Bible four times this week, God will be pleased. Do you see God as one more per, as something you're just trying to please, trying to please, trying to please? Do you see God as up there saying, come on, come on, Daniel, get your act together. Why do you keep messing up? Like, I've been patient with you for 40 years. Do you see God like that? You see God is impatient with your disobedience? Because here's what, as I talk to people, here's what I see, like all of us, if you've been in church, all of us know that we're supposed to love our neighbor. And most of you, as I've talked to you, want to. You know what keeps you from it? Your view of self. When I finally get rid of this sin, I've been struggling for 10 years, then I can do that. And that will sideline you, because where is the focus? Right here, self. And so for this priest and Levite, the thing that keeps them from jumping into this man's life is their view of God. For this lawyer, the thing that would ever keep him from loving anyone is his view of God and himself. And let's jump into the other's part. Because your belief of God and your belief of self will reveal itself in how you treat others. Like, here's the reality, guys. There's an incredible amount of freedom that comes over a person. I get to see it all the time when they finally realize that they can never get themselves to God. Freedom. Weight coming off. And all of a sudden, that freedom overwhelms them and they realize, you know what, I look around, we're all in the same boat. And I don't have to do something extra to receive more mercy. No, Jesus has already shown me mercy. We sang about it earlier. He has shown me mercy, forgiven me. I am a child of his. And now as one who has received mercy, I am free to show mercy to others. When your belief of God and belief of self are true, then mercy will overflow from that. Mercy will become personal. I was watching the Chiefs game, the Chiefs preseason game yesterday. By the way, guys, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. And during the halftime, there's this little part where they were interviewing the players on some of the, the causes that they were involved in. And I don't know if any of you saw this, but it's fascinating to me is they're interviewing all these players and kind of where they're doing charity in, in their life. Almost every single one of, them were, one of them were involved in charity by something that was personal. Like they'd lost a friend to cancer, and so therefore American Cancer Society was the thing. They have a brother who's disabled, so Special Olympics. Like every single one of them, there's something personal that drove their mercy and compassion towards other people. You know what? That's the gospel. When the gospel becomes real, there's something personal that you say, listen, I have received mercy. 
Someone in the ditch, not deserving. I have received mercy, and in turn now, I, can, I am free to show mercy. When mercy becomes personal for you, it will ooze out of you everywhere. It's the right view of God. It's this holy, righteous dead who shows me mercy as one who doesn't deserve it, has received mercy. When that clicks, then mercy will pour out. We just want to define mercy. It's, compassion is a word that's used. Compassion's kind of a, a feeling. So mercy's kind of the outward kind of compassion. We're just going to call mercy meeting needs. And as we've started thinking for Hill City Church, what mercy looks like for us, what this biblical call of mercy looks like, this this idea that we want to pursue the flourishing of the city or pursue the flourishing of every human without exception. Without exception. That's mercy. Because God took no exception with me. I didn't clean myself up. So as we start to think about what this means for us, what's it mean to have a right view of self, right view of God, what's going to happen is an overflow of mercy for other people without exception. Not, oh, I'll have mercy on you when you kind of clean yourself up a little bit. I'll have mercy on you when you work through that addiction. No, without exception. See, Jesus is showing the lawyer, you really have no love for God if you don't have mercy for others. Do you notice when, when Jesus asked him who showed mercy, the lawyer can't even mention the Samaritan's name? Did you catch that? So mercy is action. It's meeting needs. And to be a follower of Jesus is to love God so much that your love for God, your realization of his love for you and his mercy displayed to you is an outpouring of love to other people. And make sure we understand this. Mercy is not just a feeling. It is an action. Jesus asked the guy, who showed mercy? And he says, the one, or who was the neighbor? And he said, the one that showed mercy. What's Jesus say? Go and think likewise. No, go and do. Mercy is action. And let's be clear, mercy is a burden. What did the man do? He poured oil and wine. He set this guy on his own animal. He brought to him an inn. He took care of him. The next day he came back. Like, mercy is a burden. But here's what Jesus is promising us. Like, we want to know God. I hope you do. You're here. I think here's what Jesus is showing. Learn how to show mercy. Get involved in showing mercy. And you're going to get a really good picture of who God is in your life. Like, here's what I'll tell you. Sit across from a man whose father left at a young age, and therefore he sees God as this person. Like, sit across from him in dialogue, and you'll begin to learn more about who God is as this loving, gracious father. Sit across from the girl who's going from guy to guy to guy to look for her identity. Sit across from her, hear a story. You know what you'll learn? You'll learn that your identity is in Christ. 
and you've looked all these other places too, like sit across, like as we engage in mercy towards others, something that God does here is teach us more about himself. Come alongside someone that's addicted. I taught someone this week, someone that's addicted. Here's what I said, like I would not wish this addiction on my worst enemy, hear that they hate it. And then learn as you do that, that God meets you in your brokenness. Walk with a parent who their treatment of their child, which is horrific, is simply mirroring the treatment they received as a kid. Jump in that. And in doing so, you're going to learn about the heart of God. See, this is what the lawyer did. He wanted to know God, but he completely removed himself, completely alienated himself, drew a box around who he was going to associate with. And in doing so, he missed the call of God. Mercy. It's this call that Jesus is calling us to, to meet the needs for the flourishing of others without exception. And Hill City, we told you, I've been telling you for weeks, this is a big day for us as we talk about vision. And what we're going to talk about today is our vision of being for the city that flows out of this biblical call of mercy. Because we believe, the elders believe, that we cannot be the church that God has called us to be in Springfield if we do not take action, mercy is action, action steps in our community to show mercy to those in our city without exception. So we have a vision called For the City. And we've, for those of you who've been around, this is new, and I'm going to hurry through the first, first two things here. But part of this vision, number one, is leadership development. We've already had this in place, where we are developing and mobilizing leaders to pour them out into our city. We're working on partnering with a nonprofit in Springfield that's doing the same thing and developing leaders in our city. College students, how many of you are here? That was lame. How many of you are here, students? Let me hear you. Okay. So hear me, you guys are a huge part of this vision of developing leaders. I'm going to talk to you for a second, or of leadership development. We're going to talk about being a church for the city. We're going to be talk about showing mercy in our city. Hear me, students, you're a big part of this. What could God do with hundreds of, genera- hundreds of students in this town unleashed to show mercy without exception? What could God do? If you study great revivals in history, st- look at them. You know where they start? Boom. Yep. That's exactly right. That's where they start. They start with young people in this city, in a a community saying, we are going to take action. We're not afraid to fail. College students, this is a big part of this vision as we talk about that. Students, after we're done today, if you will hang around, we're going to spend about five or ten minutes talking about some things, and we're going to feed you pizza upstairs for free, and we're going to help you learn how you can engage in this vision. So students, when we're done today, hang around and come down front for that. So leadership development, we're continue to work on that. There's another part. You've been hearing us talk about this. This is our redemption ministry. This is our idea of pushing back darkness, meeting people where they are. We're already working on this. We already have groups, like there's all kinds of wings of this. Some of the things we already have going is uh, working with men and women who are in sexual addiction, meeting them where they are, helping them work through it, seeing redemption in that. We're working right now already with women who have been sexually abused, horrific stories, and watching the Lord bring redemption 
into their lives. And we're going to continue this. We're continuing to grow with this idea of redemption so that we can start to meet the needs of our city. And all the community uh, uh, surveys that were done, kind of, they brought all these expert in, experts in. Mental health was always on the top three, top two or three needs in our city. And we're going to create a ministry that's going to start to meet the needs of our community, not just in our church, of our community. Here's talking about that. Two more things. We're launching something called For the City Network. Okay, For the City Network. What this is, this is a partnership that Hill City is going to do with nonprofits in our community. So we as a church, we do not feel the need to recreate all the things that are happening in our city. We don't need to create a backpack program. We don't need to create a food distribution program. We don't need to create a program to go work with kids. You know why? They already exist. And so we're going to partner with nonprofits in our city. We're going to call this For the City Network. We see a huge value with the nonprofits in our city. Now, how are we going to do this? Because this has been the, like, how do we mobilize all of you to do that without calling up Hill City? Hey, where do you have to serve? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you an example. We're going to launch a website in the next few weeks. It's going to have nonprofits in our community on this website allow you a search platform. You can just get on and find a place to serve. Here's, a, here's an example. This is another church that uses it right now. So this is the, the platform. Maybe hard to see. So we're going to click children. Like we want to help children in our community. And we, we're like any part of the city on Sunday. Let's say we click that. And we're going to do that on Sunday evening. That's when we want to help. And we click search. And here's what's going to happen. All these opportunities are going to pop up of needs in our city through nonprofits. We find what we want, foster care, babysitting. We click on it, sign up now. A thing comes up with your information that goes right to the nonprofit who will communicate right to you. You know what it does? It takes our staff out of that loop. Praise Jesus. We're going to launch this website. We're getting the nonprofits onto this right now and allow you all an easy platform to engage in our city for the opportunity to show mercy. And then what we'd love to do is invite other churches and other organizations into this to use this website. It's our For the City network. We're going to start talking about that more and more over the next few weeks, how you can jump in and show mercy. So that's part of this For the City vision is the For the City network engaging nonprofits in our community so that we can go show mercy to all without exception. And then the fourth part of this, we're very excited about this. From the days of Hill City, from the beginnings of Hill City, um, the elders have had a conviction of our church being in a tangible way here for the flourishing of the city. Not just a spiritual way, but in a tangible way. You guys have heard us talk about the scripture from Jeremiah where um, God tells the, the Israelites, seek the welfare of the city. And so we've had a conviction from day one that when the time came for us to go towards a building, some type of facility, our conviction was it had to be something that in a tangible way blesses the city of Springfield. Something tangible, not just in a spiritual way they can come and meet Jesus, which I hope we do, hope they do, but something tangible. And we've been wrestling with this because you guys know if you've been with us, um, church plant life and setting up and tear down, it's been fun, but it's a drain, right? Sometimes we're at UP, sometimes we're here, art museum, where else have we gathered? Like five different places the past two years. 
And so we felt the strain of not having a place for Hill City. And so here's our question as elders, like we have Hill City Church that we love and we want to equip and train and gather like this and have a place to meet. We want a building, we want something that we can use and won't get kicked out of every other week. But we have this conviction that we want to be for the flourishing of Springfield, for the city. And we've been wrestling, how does Hill City Church and for the city, like how do we do these two things? And here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something called For the City Center. For the City Center is a facility, a building that's going to allow nonprofits in our city and Hill City Church to come together and use the same facility. So it will not be a building that's used on Sundays one day a week and then is empty for the most part through the week. It will be a building that's used seven days a week. Hill City Church and nonprofits in our city. So we have a, a couple of architecture drawings of just like first renderings of what this looks like. Here will be the front. Notice what you see first. What do you see? For the city. You don't see Hill City Church. It is a place for the city. It's not Hill City Church. Oh, and by the way, city, you can use it some. No, it is for the city. So in this facility throughout the week, we're going to invite nonprofits to use this as office. They will pay a, a rate way below market value to use this as their offices during the week. It's a place for us to gather on Sunday. It's a place for them to have fundraising dinners and banquets and all those things that nonprofits need. If you go to the next slide, kind of a, a little idea of what this looks like. And I know you guys all can't see this, but on the left, the orange, these are, these are nonprofit tenant areas, places where they can have office spaces. One of the things that we've learned as we've met with nonprofits is they need places to work. So this is not a place for people to come and receive services. This is a place for them to work. Okay? And then uh, if you see the blue, you'll see an auditorium, you'll see an atrium. These are all shared spaces where Hill City will use on Sunday, but during the week, all these nonprofits can use these. So our auditorium will not have chairs like this. It will be an open room that will set up chairs. That way we can do round tables and they can do fundraising banquets in it. On the top, on the back, a little red, that will be some Hill City kids space, but even that will be open during the week for nonprofits to use. Like we'll do some setup and tear down on Sundays, get the kids stuff out of the way. Those are, those are still rooms that are available. This is the vision. And we're announcing today that we have been praying about this for a couple of years. We have sought counsel from many places. We've met with community leaders in our city who all say there's a huge need for something like this. The elders went to Austin to a church that's already doing something like this. This was cool, guys. Of about 40 churches that they've worked with, we went through like a two and a half day intensive. Um, 40 churches. There's only three churches that they have kind of said like thumbs up, like we think this fits, and we were one of those churches. And that's not like, look how great we are. Like it, it works within our vision. So we received confirmation there when praying together as communities, saying, Lord, is this what you have for us? If so, open the doors. And we believe the Lord is opening the doors. And so we as a church are going to move forward with a For the City Center. We have a meeting October 26, in two months, we're going to give you all the details on this. Put this in your calendar. It's a Friday night. We'll give you all the details. 
And we believe the Lord is behind this and he's moving this, moving us towards this. And I'll be honest, he's moving us quicker than I wanted to at first. To be, to bring mercy in a tangible way to Springfield. And we already have, we already have a pledged gift that we believe will buy the land. That's how we know the Lord's behind it. So we are moving forward. It's going to take all of us to accomplish this. Why? Because we believe God has called us to Springfield for the flourishing of our city to bring mercy. Our view of God, that God is a God of justice, He's righteous, He's holy, but that God loves people. He loves people. In our view of self, that God has redeemed us, is leading us to show mercy to others. Here's how we'll close, because I have a friend out here, and here's what he's thinking. Okay, great. Hood, this is great. But, dude, I have three kids. I'm trying to love my wife. I have a job. I'm barely, like, I'm barely getting my kids dressed in time to come to church. Like, how am I? Supposed to show mercy, like how, how do I have time for this? Like, Hood, come on, you talk about the freedom that Christ brings, this feels like a weight. He's out there, I know who he is. That's what he's asking. And I've been wrestling with this question. How does mercy, how does this tie in to me and my view of God? And here's what I would tell you, is that the heart of what we believe about God is that God is a giver of good things. And this call for me to show mercy to others is not some obligation that he wants me to do to try to appease him. We believe that God is a giver and that is for your good. That somehow in you being someone that shows mercy in a tangible way, gets involved, your marriage will flourish. Your kids might have a more accurate picture of what it means to be a Christ follower when they see you engaging in mercy that your life is bigger than your job and your kids and your vacations and like somehow in God doing, and you involved in mercy, God is going to do something in you that's going to stir you in a way that you've never experienced. That's what we believe about God. Let me close with a story. Because um, we've seen this as a staff. So back, oh gosh, May, we had a gathering at the art museum where it rained, you guys remember that? And uh, car pulls up and there's a there's a, a gal in the car and some people are going to drop her off and uh she she's a, a lady mid, mid middle-aged lady and michael and i go to, to kind of help her out and she's crying just weeping she won't come in like no i'm not going in there because there's all this fear that she was outside we got her to come in and what we learned as she came in is that she's a homeless lady and got dropped off by some people at our church. And so Michael's a rock star. Started engaging her. Michael and Ginger took her out to eat and they started to hear a story. And as a staff, here's what we said. It's going to be our mission to make sure that she flourishes. And so we started working on this over the past few weeks and I want you to hear, she's not a project. Like, we love her. 
And as we've started to work with her and as we started to be active in showing mercy with her, God has done something in our hearts and in the hearts of our staff where we have just united together around her. And we're seeing that God's call to mercy is not just some obligation, but it's this joy that as we do together, God is doing something in us in a remarkable way. And so we've been working with her, making some goals for her to get a job and find a, play, find a way where she can support herself. So it's not just handouts. We've been working. And this was an exciting week for us over the past week because she got a job at McDonald's. Now, this is cool. She got a job, and so her staff had been going to take her to work every day and pick her up. Uh, we hung over the last night. She gave my kids a lecture, which was so cool, because uh, she'll get after you if you're not careful. Uh, and so, so, like, as we've done, started to do this, just show mercy, like, the Lord has done something. And she is not a project. Like, she's someone we love. And she started her first day of work this week, and so we took a really just an iPhone video, and I want you to see this, and I want you to watch especially the look on our staff's faces for our excitement to come watch Teresa get her first So we're all here at McDonald's and Cherry and Glenstone. Uh, we're gonna do our staff meeting, and uh, Teresa's starting her first day today, so we're gonna say hi to her. She, got, she brought us Egg McMuffins, a whole tray of them. <laughs> Guys, it's beautiful. The Lord has something for you and he has something for our church. And we believe that in our desire to show mercy, God will do something way more beautiful than us just coming to show up and sing once a week. And so we're taking active steps toward that. So why do we show, show, show mercy? Because God's shown us mercy. And mercy has become personal. Personal. 